Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello there and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Marker and as I am almost every week, I'm joined by Amy Shaw. Hello, Amy Shaw. Hello, John Marker. All good? All good, yeah. This time I've got a lovely mocha on my hands and just keep my hands warm, cozying up. This, <laughs> this time last week it was tea and was this tea. week you've upgraded to mocha. Yep, this, hopefully I won't spill this one all over me this time. So um, yeah, no, winning so far. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, we are back in our usual spot. We're at Caffeine and Machine. We have no Andy J this week. He's out and about doing other things. Uh, however, as always, we have a guest. And our guest this week is somebody very interesting indeed. His name is Nick Whale. He is the managing director slash owner of Silverstone Auctions. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you. It's lovely to be here. So you're fairly close to here, aren't you? Yeah, in many ways. Uh, home is just down the road on the on the Fossway, just a mile or so away, and the office is just another two miles on top of that. Perfect. That's a nice commute. Yeah. Now, before we started recording, in fact, we were just finishing off or just setting up beforehand, before our conversation, I looked out of the window of the room that we're using here to, to record, and I had a quick glance around the car park, as I often do here, of course, and noticed there was a car in particular. I then looked over to Amy and said, I think I know which car might be Nick's. <laughs> it, firstly, it jumped out at me because it is a green Alpina, Alpina. estate, which is just a dream, dream car spec territory for me, uh, but also a number plate that gives away your name as well. So, yeah. It does, it does, it does. The, the funny story about the Alpina is that I was a BMW dealer for, for 20-odd years myself. Right. And my late father was for 20 years himself as well. So there's a, a nearly a 50-year history. And we never, ever ran Alpinas uh-huh. because Alpinas was Sitna. 
and they were the yes. enemy. They were up in Nottingham, <laughs> and we were down in Birmingham. So we, we never, ever had an Alpina. And um, when I sold my motor group a few years ago, I sat there one day and I thought, um, wow, I've never actually driven one. I don't, you know, it's just, it was just the forbidden fruit. Yeah. And so I read about them, learned about them, and, and got into them. And um, uh, this time last year, they announced that the, 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 uh, B5, which is the car that I've got, is going to be the last big-engined, yes. you know, uh, Alpina because they're going to go predominantly electric. And mm. I thought, well, that's got to be one to buy. So I went out, test drove it, and um, spent my money with Sitna, which hurt enormously. <laughs> <laughs> but for the greater cause at the end of it. For the really, greater cause. Yes. And, and what a nice car to run as a, as a daily. Yeah, yeah, they are fabulous. It's, um, it's, it's one of those cars, I think, any... Any true petrol head, there's certain marks and brands or ch- or tuning arms of certain OEMs that people look at and go, God, that's a great car. It's, it's a talking point car, isn't it? If you're driving along the M40 and you get passed by or overtake a plethora of cars, there's certain cars you'll look at and go, that's that's a car person that's there. A, Somebody's yeah, made a conscious decision to buy something that is... That's a real petrol head. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All my mates uh, this time last year turned up in their electric cars and I turned up in my <laughs> Alpina 600 horsepower four-wheel drive, you know. Yeah, but you're who you'd want to be like... friends with, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will get serious one day, I promise. Yeah, yeah well, plenty of time for that. Don't get too serious, it's boring. <laughs> here. So obviously we're going to delve into the world that you're currently in, which is auctions. And uh, you know, we've been fortunate in the previous episodes of the podcast, we've spoken to various people from all sorts of different auction houses and that, that part of the industry, both from the very much dedicated online base, so people like collecting cars, all the way through to Bonhams, who've been around since... Jesus was here. Yeah, it, it's been. It's always fascinating to hear uh, from people in that world because, of course, auctions and auction catalogs and just being lucky enough to stand in a room and be part of an auction is always such an exciting thing. So we will get on to that. But you've got quite a fantastic and fascinating history before getting to this point, haven't you? <laughs> well, I'm a petrol head, and um, I've always loved cars, and I've been lucky enough to enjoy that passion. So uh, in the early days, you know. Um, I was booted out of home and, and told to go and clean cars for a living at the local uh, <laughs> British Leyland dealer. Um, and then I sort of progressed and started selling cars. When I left school, I, I worked for John Fitzpatrick, who's a well-known yeah. racing driver who drove for Porsche, and I sold Volkswagens and Audis for him. <laughs> then I joined Mitchell Cott's Mercedes and sold Mercedes because at the tender age of 20, that was the best thing to sell in, in Birmingham, unless, of course, your father was a BMW dealer, <laughs> which mine was. But uh, I was determined to prove that he, he, uh, he'd he missed out by not employing me. So uh, so I sold Mercs for a couple of years, and that was great fun. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I did join the family business, and I'm really glad I did, because mm. my uh, father didn't last that long, much long afterwards. So it was a good oh. thing I had a chance to work with him. Yeah. And sold BMWs in Broad Street in Birmingham and had a fantastic time doing that. It was a really great time for the brand. BMWs in the, I'm talking really 80s and early 90s. I was going to ask about the time period. It was just just an amazing time. It was such a strong brand and things like the E30 M3 came out and the original M5 and, you know, cars that have become iconic. Mm. And um, I was going home in them every night (laughs) and they were paying me. (laughs) It's extraordinary. So, so yeah, that was all very lucky, really. And then... um, we, uh, my father passed away, as I just touched on. We floated the business, and uh, I actually left uh, when we floated it. There wasn't really a, it was something I wanted to do, was, was to, to make it a public company, company mm. in memory of my father. And, uh, and then I, I found the, the pub life as a director of a PLC a bit restrictive. Mm. I was only in my early 30s. I was very young to be doing that kind of stuff. And um, 
So I started my own motor group, which was fantastic. And I, I remember the day I left school, the, the uh, careers master said to me, he said, um, he said, well, you're not going to University of Wales, are you? I said, no. He said, so what are you going to do? <laughs> so I said, I'm going to be a Porsche dealer. Right. And he sort of looked at me as if to say, well, yeah, right. You know. <laughs> and uh, luckily enough, um, I started my own motor group and became a, a Porsche dealer. Fantastic. Which was quite a select club and quite a special thing to get. It's, it's not an easy franchise to win. And um, I suppose I won it on the back, really, of my time with BMW and, and the brand and an understanding of how brands work. And, mm-hmm. and also, I'd owned a lot of Porsches. You know, I'd had in the 90s, with the money I was personally making, I was buying stupid things at the time like 993 RSs, which wow. nobody knew were going to go up to the value that they have. Yeah. But, you know, I used to, to um, drive one as a, a daily car. You know, that's, that's why half my teeth fell out, you know, because <laughs> the suspension was so stiff. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's what I did. I became a Porsche dealer. I was very happy as a Porsche dealer and yeah. loved it. And I also became a BMW dealer, which was great with mm. Damon Hill, who of had just retired from yes. Formula One mm. at the time. And I couldn't, I hadn't got enough money to do it myself. And uh, I'd known Damon a long time and he'd retired from Formula One. So we did it together and, and we did five or six years uh, as a BMW dealer, which was great. And also Audi. Mm. Um, and then um, I bought Damon out because he, got bored as which is which he does a bit now and again <laughs> um and unfortunately for me in 2008-9 it uh, we, we we well fortunately on one hand but unfortunately on the other we we won two more franchises uh, so we won a, a second Porsche center mm-hmm. and we won a Ferrari dealership and we pitched against other other dealers and to fund that required taking on a significant amount of borrowing yeah to build the premises because these dealerships, you know, are massive and very expensive premises. So we borrowed money in 2007 and we started the projects and we got three dealerships under build and then along came the biggest recession mm. the world has ever seen and the banks got all a bit excited. And um, anyway, to cut a long story short, we did a deal and we sold it to the Sitner Group, to Roger Penske, in fact, who I spoke to on the phone and dealt with personally and he was a very straightforward man, and um, we, you know, it broke my heart to yeah, to do yeah. it. But we were able to repay everybody. There was no yeah. bad debt or no smell. You know, that we didn't get bust or anything. Mm-hmm. We we sold it as a going concern. And uh, so, at the age of forty six, I sort of walked away, um, uh, scratching my head, thinking, "What do I do now?" <laughs> and I'd collected classic cars and loved classic cars all my life. I got a small collection, which I which I sold in order to get some money to trade, mm-hmm. and. Um, then uh, I was sat, I was on the board of the BRDC at the time. I'm a very proud member of the British yeah. Racing Drivers Club, which owns Silverstone. Of course. And um, they'd been forced to build this enormous building for Bernie Eccleston, the wing, the in, wing, order, yeah. in order the to get the Grand wing. Prix. Yeah. Do you remember when the Grand Prix was lost and all of that time? Do, it was all yeah. a bit of a nightmare. Donington got involved in one thing or another. And this building they built for Bernie was empty. You know, it was the wind was whistling through it, and um, they couldn't rent it out. The recession was on, and and I said, well, why don't I set up a, a classic car auction company, and I'll pay you the BRDC for the name of Silverstone, and I'll pay you for the use of the wing, so you get an income, yeah, and I'll start a new business. And they said, okay, give it a go. So um, rather bravely at the time, because it was in the full teeth of the gale of the recession, um, we started. Uh, very small, very modest, just a few cars, a few motorcycles. And uh, we sold a few, and we learned how to do it. We made mistakes, and we learned. And, of course, unlike the franchise world mm. that I'd come from, where everything's prescriptive, you know, they tell yeah, you exactly how, you know, mm. this is the colour of 
your furniture, this is the colour of your carpet, this is the where you get everything from. There was literally nothing in, in the auction world that I could refer to, so we made it up as we, meant, as we went along. And uh, we started slowly, we built it and built it and built it, and then we moved away from Silverstone and started taking other venues and tried to become more national. Mm -hmm. And we grew the team. Originally, we were just like four or five of us. Today, there's 29 of us. Wow. So we grew the team, we grew the events, we... Um, uh, learnt a lot and we were fortunate to to be very successful and then come sort of 15 16 we were trying to get the average value a bit higher to raise our profile and you know take in bigger cars and we realized we were turning down a lot of cars you know because mm. we were turning down perfectly good cars but they weren't high enough value so we started a second auction company called classic car auctions um, which is doing very very well today mm. so that the, the two auction businesses have had their own lives Silverstone is the premium brand that does the big events and the more expensive cars and classic car auctions underpins it. And then right up to date, we've also just launched uh, Silverstone Digital, which is our online only platform, because obviously there is a trend in that area as well. So yeah. we've, we've now got three companies in the sector. And um, yeah, that's a, a long answer to your question, but that is <laughs> that is how we got here. Amazing. Well, we can pick apart certain parts of it, I'm sure. And, and one of the things I have to pick you up on, which I didn't discover until you mentioned it in the bar downstairs just now, and that's your school years. Yeah. And that's that you went to Repton. I did. And you shared a year with two I, people that we've featured both on our podcast. Right. And there'll be a few people that can already will already know where I'm going to with this. And that is, of course, Andy Woolman, executive producer of Top Gear and then the Grand Tour. And then, of course... The most famous one, Mr. Jeremy Clarkson as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They were in the Priory House. I was in the Brook House, which was next door. Um, Andy Wilman, the brains behind the outfit, I think it would be fair to say. I agree, um, yeah. Uh, was uh, originally in my year, but he actually skipped a year at school. He was so so clever, he, uh, he, he skipped a year up into Jeremy's year. So, um, And they were very close mates at school, actually. They were always hanging out together. And obviously that partnership worked very well. In their original company, I noticed... Um, the other day was called Bedder something Bedder thirty six. Well, a Bedder at Repton is is what they call a dormitory. Right. So that was obviously named. Their mm -hmm. company was named after the, the uh, room they slept in at, at Repton. Yeah. There's a few Repton names and terminologies that have snuck their way into their production. Of course, yeah. Well, the, the stick. The, the stick. stick. Yeah. <laughs> now this before this year, I don't think many people knew this unless you were a Repton boy. Yeah. You just didn't know. And in fact, the the, the news was broken to to us on a previous episode from uh, the, still is, one of the directors for Top Gear, a chap called Brian Klein. And yeah. he told that story about the Stig. As many, you know, most people believe it's from Stick of the Dump or some sort of other yeah. other term, but no, it was, a, it was a Repton term. Yeah, if you were a new boy at Repton in your first year, and, you, you know, obviously the kids were all divided into different houses, you would get the Stig to do whatever it was you wanted doing because the, 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 in my day they still had fagging yeah you can believe that yeah, you know? yeah. so you had it you had uh basically if you were a first year you had to run around and do jobs for the older kids <laughs> yeah that's what fagging was yeah, yeah and um and so the 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 new boys were known as stigs so you you in your study you'd have one from each year so five five boys in a study one from each year, and you just go, well, get, get the stick to do it, get the stick will empty the bin, get the stick to make the coffee, get the stick to clean your shoes or whatever it was. Fascinating. And that's where it came from. And, of course, it didn't occur to me, this is how thick I am, it didn't occur to me when I was watching Top Gear when they said the stick. Yeah. I'd, even I didn't make the bloody association. <laughs> yeah. That's how stupid I am. For, well, I did eventually, obviously, yeah. but at first it didn't quite uh, 
uh, dawn on me. But that's absolutely where it came from, yeah. And do you still, do you, do you bump into either Andy or Jeremy these days? No, I, I have spoken to them in the dim and distant past. When they were doing Top Gear magazine, uh, yeah. I spoke to both of them in, in that era. The TV era, obviously their celebrity is, mm. well, particularly Jeremy's overtaken them. I have bumped into him a couple of times. And he sort of looks as though, as if to say, I know you, but yeah. I certainly can't remember your name. Yeah. What, did I, what did I do to upset you? <laughs> yeah. Who are you? <laughs> um, but Andy, I you know, have to admire what, well, admire what they've all done. Yeah. But I think Andy in particular steered that ship very well, hasn't he? Absolutely agree. Yeah, I agree. And, and previously, so just before Christmas, we had a, an entire episode, uh, both of the radio show and, and the podcast that we produced with Andy. And, it's quite unusual to hear him speak, and, and especially publicly. There's been little bits of vox pops here and there and, and some quick headshot interviews, but to actually hear some of his insights into yeah, what's, uh, what enabled this powerful machine to become what it has is, is quite fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's great. So let's, let's jump up to, um, to auction times. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, in and around that, you've also you've dabbled in motorsport as well, haven't you? You've done some, we, have. you pointed out a painting downstairs in the bar, which is... Uh, a, essentially of you racing at Goodwood. Well, it, I didn't know it was there. I'd like to just point that out. Um, but I, I did turn around and see a picture of the St. Mary's Trophy race at Goodwood with a Lotus Cortina and uh, uh, right behind it, a Studebaker Lark Daytona. And on the basis that I had the only Studebaker Lark Daytona <laughs> in the UK, um, I'm assuming it's me, which, which I know it is actually. So um, yeah, it's just nice. I've been around motorsport you know, all my life. I love motorsport. I've been a main board director of the MSA, the Motorsports yeah, Association. I've been a main board director of the BRDC, um, British Racing Drivers Club. And I've also, um, more significantly perhaps, been a competitor since the age of 16 in sprints, hill climbs, racing, um, rallying, uh, production car trials. I've done, you know, most aspects of, of motorsport I've had a go at. And that, that's my forte, really, is my variety and variation. So I've got at the moment, for example, uh, a lovely 1972 Group 2 racing Ford Escort Mark 1. Lovely. Which, which is an original car that is just phenomenal with the big arches and sits really low and the BDA mm. engine and all the rest of it. Um, but at the same time, I've also got a Fiesta R5 uh, you know, World Rally Car, which is which is as current as anything out yeah. there, you know, um, that I compete in as well, which is four-wheel drive, turbocharged, and away you go. So I've always kept in touch with modern cars as well as historic cars, and I've always enjoyed both. Fantastic. That's quite unusual, isn't it, to get the discipline of both, both circuit driving and rally driving? It is, and I find it really useful, you know. For yeah, me, I bet. You know, it, it, if I have a strength in motorsport, it is that. Yeah. It is that I can hop into most things and do most things. Mm. Um, you know, if you're going to put the fastest man in a, in a saloon car to qualify it, you might not put me in it. Mm. Um, for a start, I weigh 114 kilos, which is not helpful. We, we now know. Back in the day, we didn't know, but, but now we know. But uh, for consistency and for experience, you know, that I remember when I was doing 24-hour racing, um, the team managers always stuck me out at night, you know. They just go, just just take it out for two or three hours, Nick. Don't bother coming back in, you know, because they knew I'd deliver a consistent lap time and, and not put the car at risk. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Sorry, I've just been, I'm going to change, not change subject necessarily, but change, change with, the, with your race and rally experience, does that change the way that you look at cars that you put into auction houses, like into, into Silverstone? Like well, a, it definitely helps because, yeah. you know, a lot of things are talked about auctions and, and we can go into the digital side and the physical side, and I'm sure you'll touch on that. But the bottom line is, you know, I could wax lyrical all afternoon here about auctions but the bottom line is it's about the cars yeah it's all about the cars and if you can sign great cars you'll have a great auction Mm -hmm. and whether that's online physical whatever and it's just the same with racing cars it's exactly the same you know you've got to consign the good cars to have a good auction and that comes from knowledge Mm -hmm. i think this is the point you're making Mm, yeah is that you know my knowledge helps so i will a be able to value the thing Mm. but b more importantly understand it's what it's done in its past and the significance of that and the relevance that of that to the market today and the value today. Excellent. So, yeah. so I keep talking. I do, I do want to, Amy and I have this fabulous dynamic where we either flow like water and we ad-lib each other or we look at each other and go, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. But. Yeah, we both take a breath at the same time to talk. Um, I want to know when it came to starting, sorry, I'm jumping straight into your, the the auction and mm-hmm. starting sales and auction because as you, you previously mentioned it's quite a brave thing first of all to to start any business in the middle of a recession yeah let alone something where it involves people wanting to buy and sell things that are primarily fun because it's not like it's just you know normal cars you've got to drive around with it's the, yeah. the things no, we, nobody needs to buy a classic car do they it, precisely mm. so mm. what did you what made you think to yourself you know what i think we could do some pretty good here well i i think The bit we just touched on, the knowledge, is important. You know, we had an understanding of uh, um, the history of cars, the relevance of cars. Obviously, sales. You know, I've been in sales my whole life. Um, The classic car market at the time was quite mundane, really. There was the old players around that had been around forever. Um, There was nothing new. You know, nothing had happened new. There was just uh, London-based companies with a lot of tweed in them if you know what i mean by that <laughs> holding auctions at pretty boring venues in a pretty conventional way and charging pretty horrendous fees really mm. that's kind of the the world that i entered so it wasn't too difficult to shake that up really and that's what we did well you've quite obviously shaken things up because now you're what, what one of the leading if not the leading auction house in the uk like people some some of the cars you've had recently and on your recent auctions, you just kind of flick through of what's in the books and you're like, 
that's incredible. And you know, it's um, my my other half is a massive fan of of, of Silverstone auctions, and he's mm-hmm. always like the following. I think it was even this week. He was he was flicking through. He was like, oh, did you see the, what this went at Silverstone yesterday? <laughs> and he's like, we should have been on that. And I was, I was just like, we can't keep buying cars at Silverstone. <laughs> so. Well, I'm the same. You know, I mean, I I read the catalogue and I think, well, I really want to go to this. You know, yeah. and, and they, <laughs> that must be quite a hard thing. Do you, you know, you look through as a cast as a car lover, classic car, modern car lover yourself, to be able to look through what is in yeah, yeah. the catalogue yourself going oh well maybe yeah, if I if I sold this and I could maybe get that and maybe this and that and yeah. you know that must be quite difficult well that kind of goes through your mind the whole time and the day I don't <laughs> want to go to it I suppose is the day to stop isn't it because yeah, that's, that's probably the day it's not a good catalogue but it is all about the cars you know and um I can't emphasize that enough you know the the auction structure is important it's important that it's um open and transparent yeah. that people are fair and you know if they sell a car that's for whatever reason not as described usually an unknown reason that pops out after the event mm. the reputable company that unwinds that deal and puts everybody back to neutral that's mm. really really important um and you know touch wood that doesn't happen to us very often but if it does we will do that yeah and uh that is your reputation and that is everything but apart from that it's the cars it's the knowledge and understanding so that you know when somebody rings up or makes an inquiry they will know everything about that car yes you you will perhaps know a small amount about that car but by the time you finish talking to them if you're good at what you do you'll know virtually as much as they do because you'll listen and you'll learn you'll mm-hmm. adapt it to the knowledge you've got yourself and you'll get into the history of that car if you can then get hold of the history file of that particular car then not only do you get to know the genre, but you get to know the specifics about that car. And that's what you've then got to encapsulate and bring to market in what you write Mm. and how you photograph it and how you present that car to the market. If you can just marry those different elements up, then that's the skill in, in successfully auctioning a car. Excellent. Can you think back to your the early days of launching Silverstone Auctions and and were there any cars in particular that came along perhaps in the first few auctions or the phone would ring and it'd be some somebody saying i've got a insert car here was there anything that really kind of spiked to your interest and thought oh right we're definitely onto something here well it wasn't just the cars i think what was interesting to me is that when we first started we were dealing with joe public yeah and we didn't really know too many joe publics you know that i.e everybody was new mm-hmm. Uh, what was interesting to me was that within two years, we started to get phone calls from very reputable people in the industry. Uh, you know, I remember, for, to, to use a throwaway line, Frank Sitner was one of the mm-hmm. you know, biggest collectors, of was at the time, biggest collectors. He's now living in Monaco and mm-hmm. doing less dealing. <laughs> but in, when we started up, he was, he was a higher profile figure. And when he rang, off, uh, rang up and offered me James Hunt's Hesker 308. Oh, wow you know, Formula One car yeah. and, and said, why don't you put it on the front of your cover and in the main part of your, your auction? That was when I began to realise that we were onto something. You know, mm. that, that was the turning point where I thought, well, if Frank's... Okay, he does know... In fairness, he did know me. But not, nevertheless, to trust us with a valuable and rare Formula One car quite early on, and we'd only been going 18 months, two years at this right. point, and offer it for sale, that, that was when I thought, yes, we have got something here. Mm. And over the years, we've met you know, just about all the significant car collectors. 
um, and celebrities as well. We've dealt with you know a lot of celebrities, probably twenty or thirty celebrities. I was going to say just to hark back to the the Top Gear trio. Of course, earlier this year you had Hammond's collection of cars as well. Didn't well, you? we were flattered to get those. Yeah. yeah, I mean Richard was very supportive and we did very well with them. But you know, there's, there've been many celebrities. Some of them not obvious mm. uh, petrol heads. Um, you know, it's difficult. So I don't know whether to name. Probably best not to name names. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, some some of them less obvious, you know, yeah. um, and and it's been it's been fascinating to see the, the the reach, and not just of celebrities, but of people from f- further afield. So, for example, collectors in Hong Kong or mm. Japan or South Africa, or Australia, or the States. Mm-hmm. You know, we do deal with with a genuinely international audience. Do you have that international audience all come to you at the moment then at Silverstone Auctions or would you ever want to start to expand more globally um, to start having Silverstone Auctions in the US, in Australia? Well, some, some, some online companies have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've started I suppose, to move. Yeah, that's your thing about being online. It's suddenly yeah. up, I suppose, globally. Well, online yeah. is online, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But um, I have to say it's not in my immediate short to medium term plans. You know, what we do, it's very important we continue to do it well. It's very important that we start to link with new events that are more relevant. Mm -hmm. So, for example, next year we're doing uh, Supercar Fest, which is now in its third or fourth year. It's matured as an event. Um, You know, they had 21,000 people go last year. Mm. Yeah. That is a significant event, and it's an emerging event. And to be relevant, we've got to be part of it. So we've, we've signed up with Supercar Fest. So I think it's more important that we're doing a good job here in the UK than trying to do things abroad that, you know, at the end of the day, have to be speculative. Mm. I'm not suggesting for a moment we wouldn't deal with customers abroad, but to start opening offices abroad, I mm. think, you know, would, would dilute. We are, although I'm proud to say we've, we've, we're now 29 in number, you know, we are all flat out busy doing our yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather be doing the UK really well, you know, with classic car auctions and Silverstone auctions and the digital side leading the way mm. than spreading ourselves too thin and, and not doing such a good job. We've also got that lovely luxury that I think a lot of us forget about, both in the, I often think about this in the world of motorsport, think of every F1 team in the world, they're all pretty much based here, they're English, mm-hmm. they're English companies, um, and then think of auction houses, think of the biggest auctions you've ever seen in the world, and most of the time, it's an English company. Yeah. And it might be an English company auctioning something off at Pebble Beach or yeah. the Singapore Grand Prix, but the fact that, whilst as you say, it's not a, you're not aspiring to open international offices elsewhere in the world, but ultimately at the moment, there's no need because yeah. we are still as Britain, this is little green island. Yeah, we are the country that does the most for the automotive world. I believe in the we're, we're the hub. Yeah, we're the hub. You know, the manufacturers are mostly here, aren't they? The European manufacturers yeah. are mostly here. Yeah, and um, and in the classic car world, we're the hub. You know, I mean, the biggest classic car dealers in the world most of them are based in the uk yeah um so yeah i'm and i'm proud to be part of that Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm not suggesting that we won't look to expand down the track but i think in the in the short to medium term we're we're, you know we're going to try and stay number one in the uk that's the key well one thing it's you know thinking about online auctions generally for 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 yourselves you've got the online platform and the the physical platforms yep when it comes to either selling the cars or people buying the cars, I imagine that when you're 
I, funny enough, I've actually been to that many auctions myself, primarily because I've never bought a car on auction. It's just it's been something... You ought to come. It's I, great fun. So yeah. I've, I've experienced like a couple from a distance. I'm like, this is, this is exciting. And We're like a show within a show. Th- but, right, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So this is, this is exactly it. When it comes to the online side of things, because people are saying now, like, you know, the likes of... All these other online auction places that are coming up saying, oh, you know, old, you know, physical auctions are, are dying off and stuff. I don't no think way. they're. I don't think they're right because, as you said, no. the, the atmosphere, the ententment, the excitement that people get from being physically in an auction house, watching the person on the other side it's, of the room. It's the oldest thing in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is the oldest thing in the world, and there's a reason it's the oldest thing in the world. And that's because mm. it's quite good fun. Mm. You know, to auction something. You know, I mean, otherwise eBay wouldn't exist, would it? Yeah. That's think right. about it. Yeah. So auctions as a concept, I think, are always going to be there. And um, the physical side, what I like about the physical side is that if you're selling a, 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 a classic car, and I do stress classic car, not, not, not a modern classic that, you know, is two or three years old, a proper classic car from the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. Mm-hmm. Part of the experience of that is to sit in it, is to feel it, yeah. is to smell it, yeah. is to uh, get into the history file, to meet the previous owner, to learn what its backstory is. That is all part of it. You know, you can't do that online. Mm. And if you buy something online, speaking personally here anyway, if you buy more or less anything online, it doesn't give you that buyer's satisfaction. Oh, it doesn't to me. Yes, it might tick a box if you need to get a specific something for somebody. But, you know, as an emotional purchase, and as you rightly said, nobody needs to buy a classic car, so it is an emotional Mm. purchase. The physical side of sitting in it, touching it, learning it, and all the rest of it. That's a very key part of that emotional journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think physical auctions will be here for the long term. I genuinely do. Yeah, I do. And, um, uh, you know, we a lot of people come to our auctions to watch. I mean, on one hand, that disappoints me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. You know, we have, uh, we are a show within a show. Jonathan yeah. Humbert, the uh, auctioneer, and myself, well, particularly him, he's an entertainment act, you know, he's worth mm. watching. And um, as I say, we, we put time and effort in with the cars, so we know what we're talking about when we introduce the cars, and we sell them, and we play a very straight bat. And it's a very transparent, open thing, a physical auction. Mm. You know, online, who's bidding? You know, is it, yeah, is it the owner of the car, or is it some spoofy guy that's trying to get the price up? You know, mm. who knows? Yeah. But at a physical auction, it's there. The audience is there. Yes, people can bid online. Of course they can, or on the telephone, whatever. But it is a very transparent process you know yeah. it's um it is what it is and uh and it's great fun it is great fun it's quite a it's a bit of a magical atmosphere really isn't it that excitement yeah. and of course excitement is contagious and say, have you ever bought anything in a car auction never no i haven't not I'm, not, not yet was not the word yet. you were not yet <laughs> not yet no well then I, I need to earn some money first and then uh, <laughs> Don't yeah, don't be fooled, listeners. This this, this isn't a millionaire making uh, career choice. But, but uh, sorry, just putting in. I don't mm. mean to. But as you, as you were saying, you know, it's not. You don't have to have loads of money. To no, be able true, to, true. Have fun in an auction. Like yeah. some. Of, yeah. I think I was looking at a. I can't remember what Porsche it was over. You know, the last auction I looked at, and it went for like two and a half grand. And I just thought, yeah. my mini's worth double that. Well, mm. Maybe well, not my thing, mini, but the other, the other thing is, we, we we have classic car auctions. Mm-hmm. The average price there, we had a sale last Saturday, so just a few days ago. And the average price there was fourteen and a half thousand pounds in the whole. Oh auction. right, okay, okay, average. Mm-hmm. So that means some cars were down at eight, nine, ten, obviously, because mm. it's an average. Equally, we also have automobilia. Yeah. Now, automobilia can be pictures, helmets, race suits, signs, 
amazing one-off things, mm. simulators, you name it. And, you know, you can come along and spend 150 quid on a nice picture and, and get a thrill out of it, you know. Yeah. So, and that's why we do automobilia. Mm. I assure you it's not for the money. <laughs> it's the, you know, the money you take out of automobilia, by the time you paid the people that do the automobilia, there's nothing left. Yeah, but it just creates a bit more of an experience, a bit more of a show, a bit more of an event. And that's what we're all about. Great. Well, yeah. maybe I just need to yeah, check down the back of the sofa and I'll, I'll come along and spend some money. Because, yeah, I mean, the, I love being in the room, as we say, the that atmosphere of watching people bid and the excitement, especially when you've got a real, as we've all done, I'm sure everyone listening to this, if, if they've been fortunate to walk around an auction house, and I did this back at the Silverstone Classic back in the summer, yeah. I found myself walking around. I had a, a spare afternoon and walking around with my dad, and it was just lovely. The two of us just walking around, and dad, of course, pointing at every old fast Ford that he used to own, <laughs> and oh, I wish I hadn't sold this and this and this. And, and for me, it's great because you, you start building up this imaginary relationship with each car and then you want to see what it sells for. Mm-hmm. And there'll be certain yeah. things that jump out to you or, you know, as I say, for my dad, it's all fast forwards and Cortinas and things. And then for me, it's anything with a Porsche badge or a, a, a slightly older BMW. And then, yeah, you end up going, right, well, well, we'll just stick around for, I don't know, 45 minutes and we'll just see what sells. And you end up losing two hours yeah. because you're just fascinated <laughs> to see what the stuff that you in your head have imagined bought. Yeah, and it is—it's magical. It, it is, is a magical. It is, it is special. It is special, and and I love it. You know, and it's taken over. But bear in mind, my background was retail motor trade, as yeah, I touched on. Of course. And I thought, well, nothing's going to be able to replace that. You know, having your own Porsche center and, mm. and walking into, you know, all those jewels <laughs> displayed in in the. Uh, that's what they called it—a jewelry box. And in in, that's what Porsche used as, as an analogy. Um, but I thought nothing's going to ever replace that. But actually, this does. Yeah. And what's great about it is that not only does it replace it, but every we do four auctions a year with Silverstone and uh, four with CCA, although we are doing a little bit more next year with Silverstone. But my point is that eight times a year or nine times a year, whatever it is, you, you're creating your own showroom, your own mm. you know, mo- uh, three or four days of, of, of a selling environment with very special bits of kit, and those bits of kit vary all the time. Yeah. Oh, can I, I don't know if this is a bad thing to ask or not, but we we're talking about when the, um, you know, the, the quality of the cars that come through the door and sometimes basically people, I suppose the biggest concern from your point of view would be making sure the car is what you're saying that the car is because you can Absolutely. only know what has been told to you as well and what you're either yourselves or experts, like for example, if you have um, f- f- fakes that have come in or things yes. that you're like... And uh, there are cars out there that are fakes, particularly things like 27RS Carrera 911s mm-hmm. and things like that. There are fakes out there. So that must be pretty, not scary, I suppose, but how do you kind of like manage that battle against that to try and make sure that you're, you know, because I suppose it's your reputation as well as the cars and so on and so yep. forth. It's it's so important for you to know what the, quali- the quality of what cars you're, are coming in and you're selling are yep. as the, the highest the you can The due diligence get. that we do is really, really important. And that's, that's why we only uh, employ expertise, experts mm-hmm. with expertise. Uh, that's why a lot of the consigners are in their 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. It's not because we're ageist, it's just they have the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we do have one or two youngsters. Um, there's a guy joining us in January who's in his 20s. but um, And he's just, again, like all of us, a car nut, a car geek. You know, we yeah. are a bit geeky. That's what we are. <laughs> yeah. so, so the knowledge is important. The other thing, of course, is to... Um, we always get whatever we write signed off by the vendor. So the vendor has to confirm yep. that what we've said is correct and he has to sign to that effect. And the other thing is that even if the, some, on the very rare occasion where the vendor doesn't realise something, and we therefore don't realise something because we haven't been told, if it all goes uh, wrong, as I said, I think a little earlier, that you unwind everything back to zero. Mm-hmm. You know, so the vendor gets the car back, mm-hmm. 
we obviously don't take any funds out of it and and the buyer is refunded in full and you start again because very occasionally one in every i don't know 500 cars or something or maybe one in a thousand i don't know the number um that's going to happen yeah and it's it's how you approach it and how you deal with that there are one or two uh or have been one or two auction houses who will disappear behind their their wording in their terms and conditions and mm. and and try and duck the issue and that's mm. when things go wrong and reputations are destroyed you know you have to put your, if, if if there's an error you have to put your hand in the air and say there's an error yeah. we're going back to zero i suppose that is the, the the great thing about transparency and when you can be able to say we had no idea we are yeah. sorry or you know this this is a mistake we'll fix that for you but yeah. you must have the other side of the auction where you get things come to your way and you're like They've not realised, or not they've not realised what this is, but like you get to be the, the antiques roadshow part where you're like, do you realise what you have got? And then yeah. putting it to auction be like, this is a, an amazing barn find, matching numbers, yeah. early OBL, whatever. It's always lovely when a car smashes through its estimate. Yeah. You know, yeah and, yeah. and particularly if it's a, if it's a deceased estate or oh, course, an unfortunate. Yeah. And, and actually very recently we were very lucky. We had a deceased estate with about 12 or 15 cars in at the NEC sale mm-hmm. uh, last November. And um, all of them, um, you know, because I was dealing with the widow of, of, of a, who was a gentleman who was a very good client of ours. Mm. Uh, and obviously uh, we had the relationship with him and, and we had no relationship uh, prior with, with, with his wife, uh, with his widow. So we had to go through the whole process, make sure that we represented the cars as he would have wanted them represented, yeah. but also look after her and make sure that the experience was as enjoyable as it could be in difficult yeah. circumstances. And I made damn sure that we estimated accurately, but we also estimated realistically so that we would, you know, under-promise and Mm over-deliver, which we did. Every single car (laughs) made substantially more than the estimate. And that's an important part of the process, you know, because it's about um it's about providing uh, a good a good experience i suppose you're um not managing people but man you know it, it is down to relationship because the minute yeah. you say to somebody or somebody says to you i've got my grandfather's whatever car mm. and i think it's worth x amount and you either have to say actually it's probably more realistic if we drop it down a little bit and go yeah. and do that but you've got to do it in such a gentle way because obviously that those vehicles could be it's very a, sentimental it's a really fine it's a really fine balance because you want people there to bid Mm. And if you estimate too highly, you know, if the person's pushing and pushing and pushing mm. for a high value, people have a look at the catalogue, they go, well, that's too expensive. They don't even bother to turn yeah. it to bid. And then you've yeah. got no momentum. So it is a balance and, and, and uh, you know, it's striking that balance correctly that, that that's key. And I guess the challenge isn't necessarily even just, as you say, your example there with dealing with a, a widow whose husband's collection of cars. There's obviously going to be a huge emotional connection. Yep to those as objects but also for those that it, it's a needs must situation it's perhaps a car that they've cherished for years they're very much still here and still around but their car needs to go yeah and that must be in some cases even more difficult i'd imagine where, where you're having to cater for your client who really doesn't want to sell this car but it has to happen yeah and again representing that car and and making sure the sale goes through in the right way yeah because effectively you're taking a you're taking away oh, i've always said a Cars part of their are, lives. It is part of their it life. Is yeah, a car is, a, is an extension of your personality. It's, it's who yeah. you are. You've chosen it, you've specced it, you've treasured it because of what it is and what it means to you. So to then have to say farewell to that, it must be a, that, that must be one of the most fascinating it's parts a wrench. of the job. I remember mm. we sold a Triumph TR3A that had competed at Le Mans. Wow. And the gentleman who'd owned it had had it for many, many years and restored it to the original original colours of Le Mans, et cetera, et cetera. 
and he passed sadly and um, we dealt with his widow and we estimated it at a hundred to hundred and fifty thousand yeah. or thereabouts at our auction because uh, nobody would obviously got a comparison we got no yeah. comparisons there was only a couple of these cars and none of them had been recently sold mm. anyway long story short you know, we put the car in front of the stage. We put the widow in front of the car. She had a family around to support her. I'm looking down on the whole thing, mm. thinking, please, can this do really well? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we sold it for over 300000 oh, wow. over, wow. over double the estimate. You know, and, just, and the atmosphere and the faces and the tears and the emotion... Mm. Of that, I mean, that was a good day at the office. You know, that yeah, really was a good day at the office. And again, yeah. something you just don't get on online auctions. Absolutely. Yeah. It would have been, it would have completely been lost with an mm. online auction. Yeah. So I have to ask, does it ever go the other way? How does that? How do you mean? In you the mean, sense of in in that hope that you've really got some high expectations, a big sale price. There's yep. perhaps some emotional. There's an emotional uh, connection pull. to it. Pull. Yeah. Yep. Where the car just doesn't sell. It's pretty rare mm. because we go out of our way to make sure that 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 doesn't happen. You know, I mean, it's all about. It's having the time to con- to advertise, market, and promote the car. Mm-hmm. We're very good. If, if we're very good at anything, that is what we're very good at. You know, we, we know the websites in Australia. We know the websites in Hong Kong, Japan, to put these cars on. Yeah. We know the magazines to advertise in. We know the online places to, to put adverts. And as long as you've reached out to a global audience and everybody knows the things on sale, it will sell if yeah. it's, if it's what, what it's supposed to be, if it's what it's purporting to be. It will sell. Um, so no is a short answer. We've never had that. Um, the only time I could imagine it going wrong, and I am imagining it, is if we had very little time to promote it. Mm. You know, because then you, obviously you, you you need to know you've got your through to the buyers. It's uh, consigning for an auction. I, I call it the telescope that you turn around. Yeah. So you, you you face your telescope out to get cars into the sale. So you're looking for people who are trying to attract people in to give you their cars. And the second you close the catalogue, you turn the telescope around 180 degrees and you're looking for buyers to yeah. come. And it's, the, it's that balance of getting both right that is the key. And what is the, is there a typical time scale from consigning a car to it going to auction? Because I know some auction houses, you see the turnaround and it's, it's rapid. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll consign a car and three weeks later it's going into an auction or sometimes less. Sometimes there'll be, a blurb written in a catalogue saying new consignment please speak to bob or yeah and yeah. you think wow i think you're gambling with that yeah you know? i mean i that would not be my chosen route I, most of our cars are consigned at least um six to ten weeks before the auction great at yeah. least which gives you a fair crack mm. and the, by the way anybody listening that that's thinking of putting a car in auction the earlier you consign it the better job the auction company will do yeah. because for example we have magazines quite often ring us up and say have you got anything for us to test that's right. coming up in your sale yeah well if you've got a nice car that they can do a test it'll feature in that magazine mm. and that's a massive mm. pr story yeah you know for that particular car or indeed we might use it in our advert you know if it's yeah, a significant car we and then, then that promotes it again online and in the press so the the there is no um there is only downside to consigning a car late and there is only upside to consigning a car early. Fantastic. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. So over the years, I I try to think how many cars have gone through the auction now. We must be into many thousands. Are there any... Yeah, do you have a number? Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, At some point, I will count it up. I mean, I know that we 
uh, it's around a thousand cars a year. Oh, right. wow. It's incredible. around it's around six hundred for CCA and it's around four hundred for Silverstone. In Is that what comes in or what sells? That we sell. Oh wow! wow. That we sell. Yeah. So um, on a sort of average eighty percent sales rate, that means we're we're handling about one thousand three hundred cars a year, something somewhere in that region. Yeah. Um, I will one day count them up from the beginning, but I haven't I haven't <laughs> I haven't got the number. I know what we did this year or last year, I should say, twenty twenty one. But um, yeah, which is which is just three sixty odd for Silverstone and wow. six hundred odd for CCA. So I was going to ask out of those <laughs> out of those cars already that really jump out at you, but now I realise I'm asking you to pick out a handful of cars from <laughs> many tens of thousands. Well, the the the, the these two cars are the two most expensive cars that we sold. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the money, but it is about the thrill yeah. of selling a car that expensive. Mm-hmm. So a Lamborghini Miura SV during lockdown oh, for 2.2 yeah. million. That was a fair, yeah. fair achievement. You know, that car we had in a barn in the middle of a field for viewing. <laughs> Amazing. And, and it was sold online. We had... We had um, TV quality cameras to do the filming so people could see the uh, the images and so forth. Right. But uh, it was a, ostensibly an online situation. Uh, although the, the guy who bought it did come out to the barn to see it. We had a, we had a barn for two weeks. He had two weeks of viewing in COVID, everybody in masks and everything. Wow. <laughs> that, so selling that in that environment for 2.2 million, I thought was a fair achievement. And then we sold an original right-hand drive UK Ferrari Daytona Spider mm. to Chris Evans. Hope you won't mind me saying this. <laughs> um, back in 2014 15, uh, for about 2.5 million, which was a special car. I mean, to, to handle one of only, I think it was only 20 right hand drive mm. Daytona Spiders. So to, oh. to get one was, was a miracle. Yeah. To sell it was fantastic. And to sell it to Chris Evans was really special because he's just a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, and a, a huge Ferrari collector, isn't he? He's got yeah, an amazing collection. He's a great guy. I, I, you know, of of all the celebs we deal with, he's for me. You know, I mean, I was a huge fan of of um, TGI, TFI Friday and yeah. uh, and your toothbrush and all the rest of it. And I listened to him on Virgin the first time round and Radio One and then Radio Two yeah. and then Virgin the this time round. <laughs> And I like his approach to life and his approach to charities and kids yeah. and families, you know. But um, but he's been a very good supporter of ours, for Fantastic. sure. Fantastic. And are there any cars that you haven't yet had go through the auction that you really, that perhaps the phone call that you're going to really get excited about? Is there anything that you'd really love to see in the room or in a catalogue? Um I'm friends with Nigel Mansell going back in time. I'd, you know, there are things I'm aware that he's got that I would like to see us sell one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a, he's a slippery fish to deal with. Um, that would be, be nice. racing cars or road mixture, cars? Yeah, okay. a mixture of different things. Um, I'd like to do that. I visited him a couple of times to talk to talk to him about it mm-hmm. and stuff, and never quite got there. That Take along a nice box of chocolates, <laughs> <laughs> bottle of wine, or something. Yeah. Like, so, there's yeah. cars in your garage. <laughs> so it would be nice. I mean, he's a Brummy. I'm a Brummy. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot there, and uh, I'd like to seal the deal with him. We never quite got there with that. Um, the other car I would like to sell that that I've never sold is. A something like a D-type Jag, you know, mm. one of the real. Mm. We've done the Mura, which is very special, but a D-type from the fifties is is always something special. Um, 
you know, end of the day, the best car to sell is 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 the next one that we're going to sell, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because yeah. that's the business we're in. But yeah, there are a few landmark cars that I would like to to bring under the hammer. Excellent. There's okay. You can absolutely not answer this if you don't want to answer. If it's going to be an awkward thing to try and answer, I like this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose the thing that puts me off because I'm not a rich person buying cars at an auction rather than looking at something like eBay or Auto Trader is something like the commissioning fee. Yeah. Is that something that's ever argued with when people are like, oh, that's a bit high in comparison to eBay or private sellers? How do you kind of go, get around that to be able that's to say, actually, question. yeah, that's I don't know question. if you don't have to answer it if you it, don't want no, to. No, it's a valid question. And I think it's important that I do ask, answer it. So first of all, we charge a buyer's premium, which on the face of it is 12 and a half percent. If you assumed that we made 12.5% out of every car that we sold, you would be massively wrong. Mm. It's way, way less than that. Mm. So you might then say, well, how come? Because every time the hammer goes down, the price is X, and then we add the 12.5% commission, and that's the, the total of the bill. Mm. And that is correct. It is, that is how it works. But the thing that everybody forgets is the reserve, the right. reserve price. Yeah. So to try and illustrate this, and it's not always easy to to do this, so I'll do my best I can. If the reserve of a car, the way we operate as a company, is when a bid comes in on a car, the reserve is, is at a level, the bid is below that level, we add our commission on top, and if there is a profit mm -hmm. with us discounting our commission by maybe as much as 70 or 80%, then we will sell that car. Got you. Because to sell that car is better than not selling that car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? Yeah. So that is what happens the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. And so the answer to your question is we do not make the 12.5% that we charge. Yeah. We might only make 3 or 4 or 5% out of the potential 12.5%. The only counter-argument to that is occasionally we will take the full 12.5% mm -hmm. because occasionally we do pass the reserve. And is that too much? Well, not really. If you look at what, you know, dealers don't tell you what their margins are. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I can assure you, having been a dealer, that 10 to 12% is, you know, something they would need to make in order to pay their overheads of their premises and, all, mm -hmm. and their staff and all the rest of, of course, it. Yeah. So we just do declare it openly at 12.5%. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, over 50% of the time, we do not retain that 125 We retain a lower percentage. So I hope you can see... Yeah, what I was yeah. trying to explain that. Yeah, that does make Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's interesting to hear it from that point of view, because from, from the face of it, from somebody that, that wouldn't understand auctions, you just be like, yeah. oh, 12 and a half percent, you know, my mate's selling it with a 5% commission. You just think, oh, why should I go through Silverstone rather than yeah. him or whatever? And you, yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense that, yeah, it's it's not, it, it's, it's never, sometimes it is that much, but most yeah. of the time it isn't. I have, I have a little light, let you, into, let you into a secret, as long as you don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, I have a little light on the rostrum, and when the reserve, which is set at a level, mm. and when a bid comes in below the reserve, but the net position is a slight marginal profit for mm. us, the light goes green. Mm. And from that point on, the car is on sale. Really? Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for answering that question from me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know if you'd be like, how dare you ask, you know, I'm not telling you our secrets. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish we did retain 12 and a half on all of them. It would be, um, I'd, I wouldn't be sat here, I'd be sat in the Caribbean. <laughs> that Alpina wouldn't be green, it'd be gold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in this world, and, and I think this is a, a, a bit more valid, especially coming from your retail background, selling cars and showrooms in comparison to 
the world of auctions. I guess, like you, you mentioned, there wasn't really a, a format to follow in the sense of here's what colour the carpets need to be and what the furniture needs to look like and everything yeah. else when setting up your business. There was no manual. I did no. look for one. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Is there anything that you really wish was different about the industry, be that in both auctions and, of course, in the retail of showrooms as well? Is there anything that just can't change or won't change that you wish could change? I think a bit of transparency here and there wouldn't go amiss. Mm. You know, there are certain of these newer online companies who are perhaps declaring one or two things that might not be uh, Mm. quite as clear and transparent as they could be. You know, for example, and and I've got an online company, so I can speak with some knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if a fee is taken, because the way the system works, you register your credit card with an online company and the fee is taken the minute the auction finishes... If the deal doesn't complete, i.e. The, the buyer of the car gets there and sees it and decides it's actually not quite right, yeah. it's not as described, and therefore doesn't complete the purchase, the online auction houses are declaring that as a sale because they've taken the fee and they mm. don't refund the I fee. I see. They do not refund the fee, which is a very important point that a lot of people don't realise. So they declare it as a sale, but it's not right. actually a sale. Yeah. And that kind of... Lack of transparency, I find mm. frustrating. Mm. Um, but apart from that, in general, I think it's a it's it's a great trade, and you know, people that trade in ways that are less than transparent tend not to last too long. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no, very very good point actually. It's um, I mean, from that point of view of not lasting too long with certain people, you've now been around for a while. Where do you see the future of silver auctions being in three, five, ten years time? Well, that's a good one. I think we've got to we've got to keep relevant. So we've got to keep linking up with strong events, events that emerge, like I mentioned earlier, the Supercar Fest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Silverstone Classic is now getting a bigger and stronger event. It's moved to August. It's now over three days. The NEC Classic Car Show is the biggest car show in the UK. You know, we're proud to be partners of those events. Less relevant events, I think we've got to move away from. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to make sure we do a very good job in the UK. I think that's what we're about. Um, Will we move abroad? Potentially. Potentially. But it will be done in a careful way. It won't, you know, we're not going to try and rush and create Silver Auctions Australia or Silver Auctions <laughs> New York. We're, we'll do it very steadily and we'll do it properly. We have held an auction in Saudi Arabia yeah. uh, last year in 2021, and that was successful. And you know, we're always looking at opportunities, but they have to be the right opportunities. Got you. And will it always be cars? I think so. Yeah, don't too, don't know too much about paintings. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think I think stick to your knitting. You know, yeah. um, it, you know, if you think about what I've said about all the important aspects, it's about knowledge. Yeah. Um, yes, of course. And uh, I wouldn't want to be. You know, I mean, I love watches, but mm. I don't know enough about them to to try and sell them. You know, the odd watch we'll have in our auction, yeah. and we do have a watch expert who helps us if we get a bit stuck. But I wouldn't want to be just doing watches or you know yeah in a big way i think i think what we do we do well and i'm proud of it and i'd like to stick at it fantastic and then just rounding up so if there's people listening that perhaps which i, I guess isn't out out of the ordinary or, or impossible there may be people listening that have just never been to an auction they've never thought it's for them and i guess a bit like we mentioned earlier the average selling price isn't always that sky so high hundreds of thousands mm. and you know it, it what would your advice be to somebody that just maybe wants to come along and see what it's all about? Is it, is there any prerequisite that's needed at all to come to a car auction? Just come along. You know, we're all there for a good time. We're all there to entertain. 
We've got some great cars. You know, there's history files you can look at to learn about the cars. There's a documents desk where the docs guys will sit and go through a set of documents with you and explain what's what. You've got consigners. If ever you come to an auction, always talk. If you see a car that catches your eye, just say, who consigned that car? What's Mm. the name of the consigner, please? And then ask to speak to him because he will have met the family of the owners of that car. He'll He'll know everything about that car. So talk to the consigner. And if you don't want to buy a car, just feel free to sit down and watch. You know, if you scratch your nose or scratch your head or sneeze, <laughs> you will not buy a car. You know, we're not daft. Um, so you can you can sit there and watch. And we have lots of people who come along and watch. And then they gain in confidence and they gain in knowledge. And then maybe they have a bid a few auctions in, you know. And yeah. We measure very carefully, you know, how many uh, post-sale, our, our analysis, our marketing analysis is people who've um, registered with us before but never bought mm. and it's their first car. And it's interesting to, to look at that as how many of those there are. People we've never made any contact with before, they haven't even registered, who just come in and buy. Mm. You know, we measure all these things. And um, a lot of people do come along for a few auctions, we know this, and uh, and just watch and just see what's going on and then decide what they want to buy and, and, and how to, you know, by then they know how to bid and so forth. There's no technique, by the way, of buying a car cheaper, you know, Mm. Um, it does make me smile when you get the old trade people in, in, in a little bit older you know and they do this sort of wink you know this farmer's <laughs> wink you know, as if that's going to make some sort of difference to the price they're paying for the car but um, uh, so the reality is you know the, the car will make what the what the car will make you know and that is its market value on that day and, and that's what we're there to get fantastic I do like the idea of yeah somebody but if I just tap my nose in the right way um, and I've heard and I hope this is all absolute nonsense and this is in absolutely no way related to Silverstone. This is a story from many, 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 many years ago of these sort of behind-closed-doors deals that often get done. And I wonder if this is something you've ever seen. And again, I think this falls into that category of old-school way of doing things where people come in and say, well, yeah, but can I agree a sale beforehand and then hope that the uh, the, the, the mid- magical, mystical vote goes through and we all pretend it's sold for a, a million pounds? Does that sort of thing still happen or...? I am aware of it. Mm. Uh, we've never done it, mm. um, but I know certain big hitters have maybe come in and said, "Look, I'll buy that car before, yeah. uh, but I want it to be seen to go through at this price level or whatever." You know, yeah. I've, I've heard stories, and I, I know the type of individuals. We're talking global yes. millionaires here. Yes, yes. Um, we've not done that. You know, we, we, the minute you start down that slope, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just got to be as straight as you can be you've got to sleep at night mm-hmm. and uh if somebody wants to bark it we do get rung a lot and people saying can i buy it before the auction we do get that a lot mm. and i always say the same thing well if you want to offer double the estimate then yeah of course you can but other yeah. than that yeah. just bid in the auction mm. yeah. you know because it's not fair on the vendor you no, know that's mm-hmm. right that's right yeah and there's always that even if you do sell it for double the estimate there's always that what if isn't there yeah, yeah. could have gone for yeah. more yeah. That, <laughs> that buyer might have ended up pay, paying that amount or being exactly up another 10 grand exactly yeah it must be difficult but also i suppose that's what's the exciting thing about your job especially being like well even you know how many years you've been doing it you still don't know which way it's going to go and Mm. what's going to happen in certain cars and that must keep it exciting it's really exciting and that's that's the atmosphere we have to keep you know that's the that's that's the gold Mm -hmm. yeah fantastic well this has been really interesting fascinating insight into that world Uh, i guess yeah if you the listener are thinking right that's it i want to head along and experience this then head over to the Silverstone Auctions website yeah silverstoneauctions.com you know we've got four or five sales I think next year including a couple of motorcycle dedicated sales and uh, four car sales 
Um, and we've also got CCA, Classic Car Auctions. We're moving back to the Warwickshire Events Centre mm. as oh. the primary venue for that, which is a really nice place with an all-day cafe and all the rest of it, loads of free parking. And, uh, you know, everybody's welcome. Maybe that's what you and I should do, John. Like, we should go and, even if it was just something like 50 quid, like, memorabilia thing, we should next year, or this year, should I say, bid on something. And even if we don't win it, we'll just bid on it in the hope to, to win it. Why don't we buy each other a gift? <gasps> yes. Restrict our, so, yeah, a top-end value of, say, 65 quid. Yes. And we'll bid on it at a Silverstone's auction as a gift for each other. Yes, I would, I would definitely be up for that. I have actually, I've just realised, I have actually won something in an auction once, accidentally. Didn't mean to. Because I had my brother bid on it for me and I gave him a, a figure to, to go up to and I, I thought I was going to be completely outbid. So when he rang me and said, oh, no, you won it and now you've got to pay it. I was like, oh, so I never I never got the excitement. I just got the thing at the end of it. Ah, so um, what was You the missed thing? on the experience. It was a painting. It is a painting. Oh, I still yes. have it. Although what's funny is that my other half is now sat in our workshop. My other half hated it when it arrived and he's like you are not putting that up on the wall in here anyway sat in his office for a bit and now he loves it so i'm like <laughs> win so um so yeah so so far my auction kind of experience has been not very good so I, yeah we'll we'll do a, a buy each other thing i'll do that yeah cool indeed have fun that's the <laughs> answer thank you so much yeah, for coming yeah. along and checking to us yeah absolute pleasure thank you for asking me the driven chat podcast in association with paramex digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com Oh, wow, you've made it to the end, the very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.